Matthew 23, 23. So if you would open your Bibles there to Matthew 23, 23, we're going to continue our study of the lead up to um, the Olivet Discourse. Now what is the Olivet Discourse? It's a sermon that the Lord gave to four members of his disciples on the Mount of Olives the week of the cross. And it is the most extended prophetic discourse that he delivers anywhere in Scripture. So it's important to note, important to note what he has uh, uh, got in store, what Jesus the prophet, as he's called in John 4, what he is actually going to say about prophecy itself. So we're doing the lead up because it, the, it was a, uh, took a long time in the making, but it, it, is, it is a is the week of the cross and he's taught some things very importantly to all of the disciples and to all the people that gathered together out in the uh, temple complex and now he has uh, he's getting right we'll finish this and then we're going to take a look at when they move up the mount of olives and exactly what he said uh, we'll find it important we'll find it um, uh, important for this day in which we live relevant uh, because th we see things unfolding, he says, that are just the beginning of birth pangs. So it's important to know these things. And, you know, we might not like what's going on, but it is helpful to know that this is not escape God's notice. It's all part of his plan. And so we can have a real comfort and hopefully a true impact as a result of it. Before we begin, as with all scripture, it's important to go in front of the throne of grace and of course scripture is given to believers to understand unbelievers can understand the gospel to believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved but spiritual things are spiritually discerned so you become a believer that's when you get the opportunity to start understanding other things and so we are that's what we have to do we have to realize who we are in Christ and that the Holy Spirit is our real teacher if you want to learn, he will teach you. Seek me with all your heart and you will find me. We just said standing on the promises and it just hit me. Who can name a promise? I'll never leave you or forsake you. I mean, hopefully we've got a lot of these plugged in. And I know being put on the spots like facing a oral quiz. But instead... Uh, we know these promises and what to claim, but folks, this is the time to claim the promises of God, standing on the promises of God. And so let's take this time, silent prayer, put away all the pressures, cares, problems of the world, and let's feed on God's word this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this day. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your amazing plan. Thank you for the salvation that you've offered to all who, who believe in your son, that he died, was buried, and rose again. Father, thank you for the deliverance that you offer to us in time from falling prey to the pressures and cares and the fame, fortune, power, and pleasure of the world. Father, may we be better equipped when we leave here this morning to be able to recognize the error and be able to live in the truth. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're at Matthew 23, 23. What we've seen in this section are eight woes. Now, last week I didn't get the note handout far enough, so you've got uh, notes from along about 
verse 16 to 22. They weren't in the handout last week. I did talk about them. I'm not going to go back all the way through them this morning other than to uh, comment on them. But the word woe means that there is guilt implied and an impending judgment. Whenever you see the word woe found anywhere in Scripture, that's what it's talking about. In the uh, tribulation itself, the fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpet judgments are also known as the first, second, and third woe. And he says, guilt has been established, judgment is nigh, punishment is nigh. It's like grace has run out. There reaches a point in history, and there have been multiple points in history, where God's grace runs out. It ran out on the pre-flood civilization. It ran out on Sodom and Gomorrah. It ran out on the northern kingdom in 721 B.C. It ran out on the southern kingdom in 586. They were all regathered. It ran out on the Jews in 70 A.D. and they were dispersed to all parts of the earth. So God is a very long-suffering, slow to anger and all that. But it reaches the point where he says, judgment is nigh. And, and better pay attention. When he starts saying woe, he is warning the scribes and the Pharisees, that's his major audience, along with, uh, with other crowds of people that were there, he is warning them that your time is running out. What is running out for them is the destruction of Jerusalem, which uh, will occur in 70 A.D., 37 years within a generation after his uh, death, burial, and resurrection. So... We find, uh, in just a quick review of the different woes, the first pronouncement is for those who shut off the kingdom of God to other people. And that's the Pharisees and the scribes. They shut off the kingdom of, of God to other people. They seek to make one twice as much a son of hell as they are. The second pronouncement of guilt and impending judgment is those who, for those who fake allegiance to God for material gain. Now these were supposed to be some of the holiest people in all of Israel. They presented themselves to the widows and orphans as those who would take care of them, who had a deep compassion for them. And all they did, Jesus said, you'd devour widows' houses. So you're looking for a way to steal that which is not really yours. And that quite frequently goes on. It goes on throughout this country and around the world. But those who hold themselves up as religious leaders and do this is where the Lord has the special condemnation for. The third pronouncement of guilt and impending judgment is for those who actively promote their evil to, to destroy others. They travel around on sea and land seeking proselytes. They want people to join in with Judaism who are Gentiles. Now, the Mosaic Law invites anybody to join the nation of Israel. But if you wanted to join the nation of Israel, you had to comply with their laws. You, if you were going to join the nation of Israel and reap the blessings, then that required obedience to their laws and for men circumcision. That was required, recorded in the Mosaic Law. But then the Pharisees, the, law, the scribes get hold of it. The scribes are the attorneys of the ancient world, and they figure out a way out around that. So a man doesn't necessarily have to be circumcised or observe all of the rituals of Israel, but he's called a proselyte of the gate, which means that he can go in and out of Jerusalem and freely trade with other people. And that's what they're looking for. Why did they want the proselytes like that? To make money off them. 
They don't care about them. In some of the writings, they're called the scabs on Israel, and their great evil is part what's uh, bringing harm to the nation of Israel. Now, we want to travel around on land and sea to make proselytes to our Lord, do we not? That's part of the Great Commission. That's what we're called to do, to go out and, and make disciples of all the nations is what it is. But we don't go around and do that to make a name for ourselves or to get wealthy especially when money is the root of all kinds of evil. And just how many times have you heard, follow the money? You follow the money, you can usually find out who the chief scoundrel is uh, along the way. Now, the fourth pronouncement of guilt and impending judgment, you have the notes there from 16 to 22 that I forgot to give you last week. And the, uh, they're uh, pretty self-explanatory, but it's for those who easily compromise their character. Now, see, a lot of these principles apply today. What's going on? today we find people that are wanting just to use people they swear by the the gold of the altar they're obligated they swear by the temple they're not obligated what they did was the attorneys found ways to say some oaths you couldn't break and other oaths you could break and it all connects into money and that's what the lord is very upset with them about Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You know, the Lord wasn't a coward, was he? You ever notice that? He's standing out in the midst of a whole bunch of hostile people, and at this time he's only got 12 around him that he could call disciples, and one of those will betray him. So he doesn't have a whole lot of people. How big an army has the Lord got at this point in time? He doesn't <laughs> have an army. Because what happens when pressure hits? They scatter like sheep without a shepherd that's what is going to happen this week in history when this is being recorded they are getting ready to leave right after the last supper and they go to the garden and the Roman soldiers show up and they all scatter they disappear the Lord though knew what was going to happen yea though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil we, have many t we know that psalm from when we were kids right you know, sometimes people walk through the valley of the shadow and they don't know it. If they know they're walking through the valley of the shadow, it's a different thing. The Lord knew exactly what he was walking through, the valley of the shadow of death. And still, he walked through it. No cowardice with the Lord. Verse 23, Woe to you, scribes, and Pharisees, hypocrites. Again, hypocrite is hypocrites. It means to put on a false face. It was used for an actor because they put on false faces. That really wasn't who they were. They were playing a role. So when he addresses the attorneys and the Pharisees who were the legalists, when he addresses the attorneys and the Pharisees who were, who were legalists, then he's saying... Here is the religious legalism that goes along with it. And here are people who twist the law. They twist the law of Moses to make it for their own benefit. And they're hypocrites. That's who they are. They profess to be the religious leaders of Israel. They hold a position, but that's not where their heart is at all. And I just found out, you know, Kelvin, I didn't know he was a legalist until he brought up the calendar thing. And then the excuse, because 
it makes time drag on. The older you get, Kelvin, <laughs> the more you're going to want this time to drag on a little bit. <laughs> anyway, that was just an extra footnote. <laughs> then he says why he calls them hypocrites. You tithe mint, the little bitty herbs, and dill, and cumin. Now here are these guys out there with their little herb gardens. <laughs> they got their little plants. And when it gets to the tenth one, they're pulling it up. Okay, you tied dent, dill, mint and dill and cumin, and you've neglected. The word neglect is afiemi. It's normally translated forgive. You've, you've just done away with the weightier provisions of the law. <laughs> the ones that really make a difference. Justice. Justice is, interestingly enough, the word crisis. We get crisis from it. It's a time to make a decision. Justice is about fairness. What's right? What's wrong? He, and what has he just called them out on? They're unfair. They're totally unfair. They bring people, want to bring people into Israel to make money off of them. They devour widows' houses. They swear by the gold of the temple and have to keep it, but boy... If it's by the, the temple itself, they don't have to keep it. He says, you've neglected the weightier provisions of the law, the things that really make a difference. Justice, mercy, Elias. Mercy is quite interesting because mercy is when, when you don't get what you deserve. Okay? When you don't get what you deserve, what do we all deserve? Justice. See, that's what's fair. We all deserve death. The wages of sin is death. But God's mercy, hmm, that's when you don't administer what you could under the right circumstances, of course. And faithfulness, pistis is the word for faith, extended over a long period of time. They're not really faithful to anybody but themselves. And that's what he's calling them out on. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. That's quite a passage. What things should you have done? Justice, mercy, faithfulness, without neglecting the others. <clears throat> Tithe, dill and mint and cumin. Oh, well, that's really a tenth of all that you have. That's getting down to the important things. He says, these things you should have done without neglecting this tithing of dill and mint and cumin. He says, you blind guides. He's talking about spiritually blind. They don't see what's really going on. They don't, they don't understand what is really going on. Who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. What a statement. Strain out a gnat, you swallow a camel. The big stuff that you should have got and you should have paid a lot of attention to, you didn't. But yes, you do tithe these herbs. Now tithing was required under the Mosaic law. The first tenth was to support the Levites. Okay? Why did they want tithing so much? Why did they hang on to that law? Why did they not twist it around a whole lot and went to support the Levites? Another tenth was given for the service of the sanctuary. Deuteronomy 14. Oh, guess what? When you start adding up the tenths, a tithe means a tenth. When you start adding up the tenths, then you end up with more than 
Isn't that interesting? Some people get so excited and exacting about the 10%, and that's, that's fine and good, but there's a lot more than that that goes with it because they're called tithes and offerings. One of the tithe was an income tax to run the nation of Israel. That's what it was. It was there to support the Levites. Another tenth given for the service of the sanctuary. And every third year, another tenth was given to the poor. So this is the system, the societal system established for Israel. The Pharisees even tithed the herbs that had little value. Now I suspect a good scribe, a good attorney could argue that you didn't have to do that. He could figure out some way out around it. But Jesus said, these are the things, the important things, the way to your provision that you should have done without neglecting. It's fine that you did that, but you think because you've taken care of the little bitty things here that you've taken care of the big ones too and you've not done that. The problem was they forgave one another of the important things. They forgave one another about the importance of justice. It's unjust to take the widow's belongings. It's unjust. The Corban gimmick was another thing that he called out where uh, children could dedicate something to the service of the Lord and they didn't have to take care of mom and dad. It was a way out around the sixth commandment. And he called that one out, out too. So <clears throat> fairness, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. They forgave each other of that. They could have flaws in character, but boy, when it came to money, those things were unforgiving. By forgiving one another the important things, they're functionally taking the place of God. Because when God requires it, then we should do it. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 2. They brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, Take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes said to themselves, This fellow blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, What evil, what, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say? It's an interesting question. Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up and walk? Now, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven. Why? You can't see it. But get up and walk. That's a different thing. <laughs> but so you may know, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Who's the real one that forgives sin? He said to the paralytic, get up, pick up your bed, and go home. And as you know, he did. To prove that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. I'm going to do something you can see. So you'll know I have the other power as well. By forgiving each other these important things within their little religious community. They were functionally taking the place of God. They did not have the authority or power to do that. There's one thing that would not be forgiven man from Matthew 12. And that is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That is when a person does not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and it's perpetuated to physical death. Because if you think about it, every unbeliever is a blasphemer of the Holy Spirit until they accept Christ. Everyone is. Why? Because the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus. And if you don't accept Jesus, you've called the Holy Spirit a liar. 
So when you accept Jesus, you're forgiven. It's the one that goes all the way to physical death. See, that's when grace runs out. That's when the clock is over. What they neglected was the issue of righteous judgment, both eternal and temporal. They lost a sense of fairness. I think part of the moral argument of God is inside of each and every human being is the fact that the, we know that thing, some things are fair and some things are not. We know that. Because you can go to anybody that may never have even heard about God and you can talk to them about, well, what if this vendor took this from you over here and didn't pay for it? Well, it's stealing. Yeah, but was it fair? No, it wasn't fair. It wasn't a fair price or anything else. Inside of people, we know that some things are just simply not fair. And we react to them. I think that's part of made in the image of God and pouring, pouring into us. The issue of mercy, especially on non-essentials. See, you didn't dare not tithe dill and mint and cumin. Okay? But it was okay to be unfair, show no mercy whatsoever, and have your faith bounce up and down like a yo-yo. They didn't have yo-yos back then, but... They may have. Who knows? It's the, the eternal toy. The issue of faith on a consistent basis. You know, here the religious crowd, they could forgive each other for their failings or faults and everything else. We should be forgiving to a point, but they made it such an easy deal. It was no big deal when they messed up and committed a sin. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He said, but don't you dare not send me that tenth piece of mint. Or Dill, what'll I do with my tea? The fifth pronouncement of guilt and impending judgment is for those who neglect the important things of God. Or you might even say things important to God. You could say it both ways and get the same point. What is important to God? Justice, mercy, faithfulness. These things you should have done without neglecting the others. In verse 25 is the sixth woe. This says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Notice the repetition there. He's, he's preaching a sermon, isn't he? Okay? That's what he's doing. He's saying the same thing multiple times within the sermon to drive home a point. What do you think is his main point here? Woe to you, <laughs> scribes and Pharisees. You are guilty and the judgment is coming. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, fakers. For you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish. But inside they're full of robbery. Harpage is a word that means to rip away something. Theft, stealing, violation of ninth commandment. And self-indulgence. Acrasias use only used two times. Crasia means a lack of strength or self-control. That the uh, a on the front of it's what negates it. In fact, I found it interesting when when people started saying you can't say all men anymore. You have to say all women too. And I, I thought. Interestingly enough, see, amen is the same in the Hebrew as it is in the Greek. Okay, and it simply means, so be it. Okay, but if you put an A on the front of all women, it sounds like not woman. Because the A usually negates things in the Greek. So, all women means not women. 
but they're not going to listen. Anyway, inside is the problem. Inside, he's telling the Pharisees, you're just thinking about how you can steal more so you can have more to yourself. Now, in the last days, men will be lovers of self. The first century, the first advent, is a picture because it's going to set it up again just before the return of the Lord with the rapture and second advent. History is going to repeat itself to a degree, but it's what we are living today is very similar to what Jesus faced in the first century. That's what we're living. See, he, he knows well about it. He knows our problems. He knows what we're dealing with. He knows quite well because we are surrounded by people who are narcissistic is the word. In the last days, 2 Timothy 3, 1, men will be lovers of self, lovers of money. James 5, your rich men are the great men of the earth. Hmm. There's going to be a destruction in the last days. It's all coming together. See, the Pharisees were strict in their observation of all the various washings required by their traditions. In Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 8, this is some of the things that they did. They added to the Word of God. They had these special washings that were not prescribed in the Mosaic Law. But they added them to them. They made them the traditions of the elders, and they required that everybody do them. And if you didn't do them, you're rendered unclean, not by what God said, but by what man said. Jesus calls them on it. Mark chapter 7. The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered together around him when they'd come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. Now, what does unwashed mean to you? It means we take the soap and water and we scrub it all up just like this and we be sure that we get that soap that's 99 and 44, 100% pure and that it'll kill all bacteria, which is what soap does anyway. But you have <laughs> that wasn't what they were talking about. Their washing was a ceremonial washing that had a specific amount of water that they would pour on the back of their hand and they would turn their hand to try and get the water over every part of their hand and do the same thing for the other hand. It was ceremonially clean. It didn't mean they were clean according to the way we view clean. It meant that they were ceremonially clean. Oh, so ceremonially clean was a lot better than really being clean. But that's what they look for. They ate with unwashed hands. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they carefully washed their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. And the Pharisees and the scribes ask him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, 
but their heart is far away from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men, neglecting the commandment of God. You hold to the tradition of men. Now we find a lot of people, even within our country, do the same thing. They don't even know what God's commandments are, but when they do, they put them aside. They've got their own set of standards by which they, by which they live. But see, the standard by which we're all to live is the divine standard that God has set for us. Their means of an excessive lifestyle, because the Pharisees in a poor place lived quite well. They had long robes. They lengthened their robes. They put tassels on their robes. They lived quite well. They came from an uncontrolled extortion of other people. That's why the Lord is saying this. The last week before the cross. Woe to you scribes. And if this has gone far enough guys. It's an uncontrolled um, extortion of other people. That um, leads to this excess. That, that supplies this excessive lifestyle that you've lived. And you say, what is this coming? What are they doing? What You remember the Lord cleaned out the temple twice? Why? This is supposed to be a house of prayer for all the nations, is what he said. You have turned it into a robber's den. Why? <laughs> because they would disqualify the sacrifices somebody may have brought in order to sell them their own. Oh, what a racket. What a racket. A lack of self-control can lead to sexual sins. 1 Corinthians 7, 5 says, Stop depriving one another between husband and wife, except by agreement for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Husband and wife are supposed to have sexual intercourse. That's what they're supposed to do. It says, Don't deprive yourself of that, unless for a time to devote yourself to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control that's there. So he says, don't just turn things off because it can lead to sexual sins. And Christians oh, will face extortion at times. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 32 to 36 Remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings. Remember then, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy, sympathy to the prisoners. You joyfully accepted the seizure of your property knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Book of Hebrews was written in the mid to late 60s, just before 70 A.D. It's traditionally viewed as a book to prepare the Jews for the fact they're getting ready to be dispersed into all four corners of the earth. That's what's getting ready to happen. And he says, you've accepted this. Now, what has gone on during that time? Nero, the nut, is burning Rome and playing his fiddle. He's crazy as a loon, and he's the one in charge of the government. He was setting fire to Christians in barrels of oil to light the streets of Rome, putting them into the amphitheaters to fight lions. He, that's, that's who he was. And he said, you accepted this. Therefore, don't throw away your confidence, 
which has a great reward. In these last days, this last time, the time in which we live, no matter how it comes out, we cannot throw away our confidence. We have to keep our eyes. That's coming up, by the way, Hebrews 12, 2. Keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of the faith. For you have need of endurance. So when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. What's promised us? An inheritance far beyond anything we could ever imagine. We should want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Above all. That should be part of what drives us. They asked Billy Graham once what he would like to hear when he stood in front of the Lord, and that's what he said. Most of us would think, well, if anybody will get that, he will. He said he realized he was just an unworthy speaker, a voice in the wilderness. He knew that lest after preaching to others he too be disqualified, he knew he needed to finish and finish well. Because that's how you get well done, good and faithful servant. Do the right things for a long time. That should be what drives us. Now the fifth pronouncement of guilt. Well, we've been the fifth pronouncement of guilt. And he says, You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, so that the outside of it may become clean also. The sixth pronouncement of guilt, we'll get to it in a second, an impending judgment is for those who are driven by unclean thoughts. I see, when you start looking at the little things, tied delament and cumin, that's one thing, but... When you end up with this other deal, it's another charge of spiritual blindness he's just levied on him. It concerns those who are only concerned about looking well for others on the outside. You want it to look good. That usually indicates it's a shallowness and a hollowness because there's nothing inside. We're supposed to have all the good stuff on the inside so that it comes out. But he says, all you want to do is look good for other people. Real change comes from the inside out. Romans 12 should be plastered on our refrigerators. If it's not there, we should have it memorized. It is to present your body a living holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, your priestly service. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can determine what the will of God is and you'll know it because it's good, it's well-pleasing, that's acceptable, and it's perfect. In verse 3, your first test is don't think too more highly of yourself than you are obligated to think because pride is the thing that gets in the way of that first and foremost. Verse 27 Verse 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you're like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. See, anyone who touched something belonging to the dead was considered unclean, according to Numbers 
1916. A tomb would be considered unclean. But if you can just touch the whitewash, <laughs> see what they did? <laughs> they whitewashed them every year. I understand the practices still continued on today. They were annually whitewashed to prevent people from accidentally contacting them as they went into Jerusalem to worship. Oh, well, you can see it's a big white glowing glob says, don't touch me out there because you became ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. Now, <clears throat> woe to you, but so you too, he says, outwardly appear righteous to men. Inwardly, you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Anomia, namas is a word that means law in the Greek. You put the A on the front of it, it says not of law. The IA makes it a feminine word, so he says inside you're full of hypocrisy. He's calling the scribes and Pharisees hypocrites already. He says, but what's on the inside? He says, you look good on the outside. Your robes look good. Well clean, well pressed, tassels on the bottom, all the, all the good things. You make long prayers to be noticed by men. He told them that three years earlier, by the way. He didn't just spring this on them. Three years earlier, he did in the Sermon on the Mount, he did the same thing and told them that they just outwardly in Matthew 6, that's what they want to do. They want to be noticed to men. He said, truly, I say they have their reward in full. People that live just to be noticed by others. They have their reward in full. It's not pleasing to God. See, a mark of an unbeliever is one who speaks out words of death. From Romans chapter 3. Inwardly, you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Inside, they're full of dead men's bones. Romans chapter 3 says there's none righteous, not even one. I'm not going to exegete that, but there's no one keeps on being righteous is the best way to translate. That's what goes with the participles that are found there. And it says that, yeah, no one can do it from, from start to finish. Only Jesus did it from start to finish. There's none that keeps on being righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. Participles again all the time. No one who understands all the time. You're going to hear some things not understand them, other things you're going to understand. There's none who seeks for God all the time. We get distracted quite easily. All have turned aside. Together they become useless. There is none who does good, not even one. Nobody does good all the time. Even the Pharisees did good some of the time, as the Lord says. But nobody does it all the time. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asp is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Paul writes this. He's quoting Old Testament passage, none who does good, not even one. And what he is, what the, the Lord has done is confirm that to the, the Pharisees. You do things on the outside, you do them to be, uh, look good in front of men, you 
honor him with your lips and your heart is far away all you want to do is steal from others and use them hypocrisy is pharisaic evil it's using a different set of standards Luke 12 1 under these circumstances after so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were stepping on one another he began saying to his disciples first of all beware of the leaven of the Pharisees again people who keep adding laws making them standards for spirituality beware of the leaven of the Pharisees the evil of the Pharisees which is hypocrisy nothing there is nothing covered up and boy what about what about a promise <laughs> to claim right now I've been praying for a long time that the Lord would expose the evil around our nation and a lot of it has gotten exposed but are people unwilling to do anything about it that have the power to but look at what this says nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known they managed to keep a lot of things hidden for a long time he said one of these days it'll all come out it will all come out hypocrisy is manifested in prejudice from Galatians chapter 2 verse 12 and 13 prior to the coming of certain men from James he this is Peter used to eat with the Gentiles and when they came he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof fearing the party of the circumcision now this is the party spirit you notice this there were already factions within the early church of Christianity this is 15 years into uh, the, the Christian era if you will after Christ had been raised 15 years is when Galatians is written Peter was doing quite well okay he was eating with the Gentiles and then certain people from the circumcision party Okay, you have to be circumcised according to the law of Moses in order to be saved they were starting to sway the apostle Peter and Paul confronted him and that's what he's writing about he went nose to nose with the apostle Peter to say that we don't want to add this, this legalism back in to where what the, the Jews did uh, earlier and he says the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy he called it hypocritical in order to no longer eat with the Gentiles. He called it the wrong decision. This party spirit is basically a political party spirit. When he gets to the works of the flesh in Galatians chapter 5 compared with the fruit of the spirit and you track the words down in there, one of the words of the works of the flesh is a party spirit. You do everything for the good or the group that you are a part of instead of for the group of of or instead of doing it for the Lord and he says with a result even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy Paul and Barnabas are good buddies over this and he said the apostle Peter got carried away Barnabas joined in Paul found himself by himself but he had a voice 
Barnabas, who is Barnabas? What did Barnabas mean to Paul? Barnabas means son of encouragement. It's what his name means. When Paul was first saved, Acts chapter 9, and whenever he went to try and associate with the apostles that were there, they wouldn't have anything to do with him. But who befriended him? Barnabas. Barnabas befriended him. Barnabas stood up for him. Barnabas had his back. And as a, as a result, Paul was accepted into the circles and where they would at least test the spirits, where they would at least use their gift of prophecy to determine if Paul really was saved or not saved, if he'd really converted or not converted. They had all the tools at their disposal. And Barnabas is the one that went in and said, you need to give this guy a hearing. And now Barnabas even got carried away with the party spirit. Hypocrisy can extend to marriage and even diets. From 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, the Spirit explicitly says in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth hypocrisy can extend to a lot of different things hypocrisy will be a significant enemy of the church and you know it's interesting thing about hypocrisy uh, people can usually pick it up pretty easy but it's still been a problem in the church. Why are a lot of people not assembling together? And I'm not talking about all the COVID stuff and all this. If it was all gone, if we didn't have it, people still wouldn't be assembling together in the country in which we live right now. There's too many other distractions that would take them away. But he said to assemble ourselves together. But why do a lot of them not come? Because of the hypocrites that are in the church. And I know this from first-hand experience from family members. I'm not going to go. They're just a bunch of hypocrites. Well, you're disobedient. <laughs> I mean, you don't really want to get in a battle royal like that. But I mean, here is the, yeah, are there hypocrites in the church? Yeah. Why don't you come in and straighten it out? You know, if you're looking for a perfect church, don't join it if you find it. Because you'll mess it up. That's who we are as people. God knew all this stuff when he said, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. He, and he knew it when it was inspired. And by the way, God was in tune with what was going to happen in 2021. Okay? This didn't catch him the least bit by surprise at all. Lawlessness. See, here's hypocrisy and lawlessness. It's a dangerous lifestyle to be without law. Those who do not deal with it will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Who don't deal with the lawlessness. Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, some people call out the name of the Lord for help. They call out the name of the Lord for healing, but not in acceptance of who he is. Lord knows the difference. Nobody's going to play him. If it's just a hypocritical calling out because you don't know really anything, if you really want to know him, he's right there and he knows it. 
but he who does the will of my father who's in heaven will enter what's the will of his father who's in heaven believe in the name of his only begotten son that's the will of the father many will say to me on that day lord lord do we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons your name perform many miracles and i'll declare to them i never knew you depart from me you who practice lawlessness see everybody practices lawlessness to one degree or another okay that's not what's going to put anybody in hell failure to accept the savior is what will put people there those who do not deal with it will spend eternity in hell according to Matthew 13 verses 41 to 43 which says the son of man will send forth his angels they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth Lawlessness can be forgiven, thankfully. Romans 4, part of what the Lord did, blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven. And believers are not to be lawless people. We're supposed to obey first the laws of God. We're supposed to obey the laws of the land, Romans chapter 13. That's what we are called to do. Christians should be model citizens. In Romans 6.19, he says, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness. Isn't that something? Lawlessness breeds lawlessness. It's descending into depths of it. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Believers, say, should not be lawless individuals. Believers should be righteous individuals because that can increase. No matter how righteous we may get experientially in time, it won't get us into heaven. But the Lord knows it. He's promised to not forget any good that we have ever done. Ever. Lawlessness is a marker of the last days. This is where we're headed. Matthew 24. We're getting close. Matthew 24 verses 12 and 13 because lawlessness is increased most people's love will grow cold now can you think has it already happened I remember growing up see somebody standing alongside the road with their thumb out looking for a ride especially if they were in uniform they get a ride now picking up a hitchhiker why would our love not extend there lawlessness has increased lawlessness has increased things we used to do we, we didn't leave our we didn't lock our house when we left it well, we sure do now <laughs> I mean why do these things happen lawlessness is increased most people's love will grow cold you know most churches didn't lock up 30, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, they didn't even lock their doors. They were open all the time. Felt like they should be an opening for people to come to if they needed to uh, come and pray or whatever they wanted, uh, whatever, other than tear it up. But because lawlessness has increased. I remember as a kid growing up, the church I went to left the doors unlocked until some kids broke in 
and spewed bottles of pop all over the place and destroyed some carpet and walls and everything else that went along went along with it and after it was fixed it was locked up because most people's love because lawlessness is increased most people's love will grow cold this is all of it discourse it's dealing with the last days and we can see it right now we can see it now you get cautious about helping somebody somebody asks for help because people have played so many people over the years so many con jobs going on it's one of those things we try and make decisions one of the most difficult decisions a deacon board can make is who they're going to help financially and who they're not it truly is we've tried I know every church I've been associated we've tried to make a set of rules that are hard and fast rules they never you can't you have to deal with each set of circumstances individually who do you help who you not because sometimes people are just playing you that's all they're doing you minister to them you teach them you try to if they don't want to if they don't want to do it that'll happen I think I told you about a guy one time that I helped and helped and helped and helped and helped and helped and finally I got tired of helping and he was there in Yukon staying in a hotel and he needed some food again and uh, I talked to him about Jesus multiple times and I said do you know about Jesus yeah he's a man from outer space I said well he <laughs> he's not of this world at least you can make an argument <laughs> for that and I went over to Lord I think you're telling me this is the last time I need to help this guy I uh, went to a love store down the street and I said would you uh, I won't give you 20 bucks would you and I gave him the guy's name and I said if he comes in would you give him $20 worth of credit and she said he's banned from my store and I went oh she knew who he was okay so I decided well I'm going to take it to him this is going to be it so I pulled up in front of the hotel tried to get out of the hotel and the seat belt would not come loose I was trapped <laughs> in the front seat of my car <laughs> that had worked 10,000 times before that but it didn't work that time and I finally said okay Lord I can take a hint <laughs> I drove home and had to cut myself out of that stupid seatbelt. <laughs> so when you ask for a sign from God, you never know how it's going to come as to whether you should or whether you shouldn't do that anymore. The Lord is so good. Seek His will. He doesn't want lawlessness in our life. He wants justice. He wants mercy. He wants faithfulness. And he doesn't want our love to grow cold. He wants it to increase. That's part of our, that's part of the design for the last days. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, again for all your blessings, your test, for your opportunities. Thank you for your magnificent word. That Father always speaks to us and reaches to us, uh, touches our hearts when we listen. Father, I pray that we will remember that which we've learned today. I pray we'll not be alarmed by the things that are going on. 
But Father, I do pray for a spirit of boldness. As the Apostle Paul prayed from a prison, I pray we'll have the boldness to be able to talk to people, tell them about Jesus, not back down from it. I pray that we will be awakened as, as your church. We know judge, judgment's supposed to start with the church of God. And Father, I pray that from that, we will learn and we will honor you the rest of the time that you've allocated to us here on this earth. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.